which in America, what else is there, right? And some of you are hoping it's a really good commercial uh, Christmas season, right? It, it matters. Um, the fact is, uh, as, we, as we think about this, uh, uh, for centuries, literally millennia, the church has used the period of time leading up to Christmas to explore um, thinking about Jesus' first coming to energize us for his second coming. And so, um, and, and, and it's funny because one of the things that happens in the commercial season of Christmas is uh, that we seize upon the longing that we have, the true longing that we have, that Jesus would come back and make things right, that love and justice and grace and mercy would reign in our lives and over the whole universe. But what happens to us is we confuse that with um, a boyfriend. That's what jewelry commercials do. Or a spouse, right? All those beautiful things like that. And you know what? It's awesome to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. But it can't hold a candle to Jesus. It'd be awesome if you're infertile to have your longing met of a child. It would be awesome. But longing for Jesus is longing for something even deeper and better and bigger and more profound than that. And so as we look today at this text, uh, the challenge for us uh, is to settle our hearts in a real sense of the reality uh, that human beings find themselves in and the great thing that God is doing in response to that. So let me read to you this passage from Luke 21, verses 25 through 36. This, this comes to us near the end of Luke when Jesus is there in the city of Jerusalem, uh, most of the time, many of the, much of the time in the temple teaching. And in all three gospels of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's three. Uh, in those three gospels, Jesus spends a lot of time at the end of his life talking about his second coming. And so he does that uh, uh, in this text today. So let me read to you uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. Uh, this uh, text in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake 
at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so uh, a couple of things to think about as we enter into this text and as we enter into this season. So um, Scott, go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So of all the seasons of the church year, Advent most closely mirrors the daily lives of Christians and of the church. It asks the most important ethical questions, presents the most accurate picture of the human condition, and above all, orients us to the future of the God who will come again. So one of the things that you have to think about that is that this is, uh, we live in the now and the not yet. Jesus has come uh, and uh, lived, died, and risen again, and we live now in this period of time where we're waiting for him to come back. Now, I, I, I understand for many people and for most churches in our country today, for a pastor to stand in front of a group of people and say, Jesus Christ is really coming back bodily and will stand on the earth, most people would think that's a quaint thought. How quaint. Those rubes. You know what a rube is? Look it up. Right? Pollyannish. Right? But I would submit to you that the, the fact of the matter is that as we, as we uh, look at this, that, that is no more quaint than the fact that we proclaim a man was really dead, dead for three days, and now he's walking around. And because that happened to that man, it happens to all who are in him. Right. So as we as we unpack this, as we think about this, that's one of the things we have to think about. The other thing that's important for us is, is that in a very real sense, we live in Advent all the time. We live between the times. Right. And we live between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And so the the fact of the matter is what many of us long for and what many of us demand and what most of us in our culture uh, demand is that we live as if the second coming of Christ has already come. But I'm here to tell you, if you are a believer today in North Korea, Advent matters to you. Your longing is not for a piece of jewelry. It's for justice and righteousness. It is for deliverance. It is in the midst of a deep, deep darkness that light would shine. Right? And so, so for many of us, what we do is we content ourselves and we kind of uh, put ourselves in a situation where we minimize the darkness. And because we minimize the darkness, the light does not shine as brightly. Listen, this year I have a task for you. And the task for you is to enter fully into the gospel joy of Jesus coming for sinners. But I, I, I want to warn you that you cannot fully enter into that joy until you've come to grips with the fact that without him doing that, you're hopeless. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the Bible is very clear about this. It says you're dead. Okay. Um, so we live in this thing where we're, we're waiting for Jesus to come back, right? So in the first coming, Jesus came relatively quietly. I mean, if you were out there in the field when the angels were singing, that was probably loud. But I imagine the, the, the child born in Bethlehem did not make the newspapers in Rome, right? It was, it was not, uh, 
uh, it was not on cable news, right? So, but in the second, he'll come in worldwide glory. So right now, as Colossians 3, 3 to 4 say, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory, right? That's what we look forward to, and that's what we long for. But the fact is, to come to grips with the fact, well, for many of us, for many of you, if Jesus were to show up today, it'd be a big interruption to your holiday plans, wouldn't it? Right? Right? But if you're in a place of darkness, you know your heart longs for this is the thing that really needs to happen. The fact is we live in this kind of in-between place, right? Um, I'll give you a, a great example of, of how this works. Uh, as Kevin mentioned, yesterday we had a, a memorial service here for one of our dear sisters. It was a great service, hoping in Christ. Uh, then we had a wonderful time, uh, kind of a, in many ways the service was awesome, but also what's awesome is gathering with the saints together and eating ham biscuits. You know, that's, that's one of the great things about this year, the great things about Advent, ham biscuits. Uh, and if you're like me, country ham biscuits, right, North Carolina, get your sodium up there. Um, you can eat them with impunity this time of year, that's what I always say. Um, and so we're gathered around, uh, enjoying one another, hoping in Christ, remembering our dear sister. And so I'm, I'm literally talking with one of my good friends, someone I've known a long time, a deacon in this church, and we are talking about our longing for heaven. Not in some kind of stilted, religious, stupid way, but the way real people talk to each other. We're having this great conversation. Another dear friend comes up to us and says, I hate to interrupt your conversation, but we have a plumbing issue in the men's bathroom. Well, how fortuitous. Look that word up too. I'm thinking, I'm talking to a deacon. What do our deacons do? They unplug toilets. God has called them to do that, right? They do it to the glory of God, okay? So I'm like, this is not a big deal. And so he goes to take care of this. Well, a few minutes pass, and now I'm told that there is water bubbling up through the floor drains in the kitchen. Suddenly, I'm becoming coming to grips with the fact, oh, we got a real problem. This is not just one little toilet that's plugged up. The whole building's plugged up. Literally. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you act like it's not happening. <laughs> right? And you say, put some signs on the doors. We're going to get through this. We're going to ignore it. And when everybody leaves, we're going to deal with it. Sound familiar? Sound like your life? So what do we do? Well... Uh, we decide we need to call our plumber. He's a great guy. And he comes, and in a matter of seconds, he realizes this is out of his league. So suddenly we're beginning to think, you know what? We can't have church. It's against the law to be in this building if we can't use the facilities. So you're creative. And resourceful staff begins thinking, should we get another venue? 
Should we order on short notice 50 portagons? What should we do? So we decide, you know what, we're going to call in the big guns. We're going to get, we're going to get a, a, a serious plumber. So um, Kristen and I are here waiting for him, and our Savior arrives. Not like what you would expect. Not at all. We greet him. He goes. He looks at the problem. He comes out, and we're like, can you do something about this? Can you fix this? I'm going to do it in about an hour. What? Yeah. I can do it in about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can get it. You know. So there's a lot of banging, a lot of worrying, a lot of all this kind of stuff, and suddenly everything's fine. Without him. We wouldn't be here today, look quite literally, and we'd be stuck. We'd be stuck because we had a problem we could not fix. You don't really appreciate that. You don't really appreciate the fact that you need that kind of help until you need that kind of help. Jesus Christ will be meaningless to you and to me until we come to grips with the fact that without him, we're dead. This Christmas, embrace that. Embrace that. Uh, That is what the church is longing for, and indeed, that's what the world is longing for. Because you see, in today's passage that we've read here about darkness and distress and the, the, the uh, 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 oceans foaming and, and life coming apart at the end and foreboding and anxiety and all of those sorts of things. As we, as we see that Jesus is doing something here that's very important. He is loving his disciples and he is loving us by telling us, hey, I will come back again, but you must be prepared. You must be looking. You must be expecting me to come back in the face of what will be Huge and large difficulties. What will will be in the face of persecution? What will be in the face that many of you will die because you belong to me? Right. And so he tells us that things are going to get very difficult right before he comes back. And the fact of the matter is there have been periods and times in the history of the church, in the history of God's people, where this has been a, 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 a more profound thing than it is now for us at least in this country. But there's, no, there's never been a time in the history of the world since Jesus was here that someplace, sometime, somewhere on this planet, folks who identified with Jesus Christ were being persecuted, were being undone because they identified with him, right? And so what he says here is, as things are going to get very difficult, but what you need to do is to be prepared, to be on the lookout, to live in expectation of what of, of his coming now this is really hard for us to do it's really challenging for us to do because because we it, it seems so out of the ordinary it seems so ridiculous it seems so crazy to think that i'm going to go along in my daily routine and then all of a sudden jesus is going to show up and disrupt and overturn everything right 
But that's exactly what the scriptures tell us. And so faithful living in this day and age is to live expectantly in preparation in light of the fact that our king has come once and that he will come again. So he tells us to watch ourselves, to be careful. Now, here's the thing that where people get off track on this is <clears throat> the point is that this vigilance of looking and waiting and preparing for him to come does not bring about the coming of Jesus. Right. There's no amount of of preparation that you can do that will will uh, make it so that now the place is ready and he's going to come like a Christmas guest or, or or something like that. OK, now we've all prepared. It's time for him to come. There's no amount of preparation. You, you can't do something to get yourself in a situation where you can prepare the world or you can prepare your heart. OK, now, Jesus, I'm ready for you to come. So I've done all these things. You come. The Lord comes in his sovereign grace and power as he sees fit. So we live looking forward to that, recognizing fully that unless he comes, that unless he brings about, brings the curtain down on history, we, <laughs> you know, we're hopeless. We're lost. We're wandering around, stumbling around in the dark, and there is no, uh, uh, well, there's no future for us, right? So he says that this vigilance does not bring about the coming of Jesus, but is the way he desires for us to live. And the way he wants us to live is to be prepared for judgment. Now, here's one of the themes that we'll run into a lot as we spend time this Advent season is that the church, indeed the Bible, uh, uh, historically has looked forward to and embraced the idea of judgment. In fact, one of the great things about looking forward to Jesus to come will be that he'll judge the living and the dead. Now, for a lot of people, judgment sounds horrible, right? And now some of you are thinking, well, I know people that I can't wait to see get judged, right? But the, the fact is, uh, judgment seems terrible. But in, in this context, when we are in Christ, judgment does not mean condemnation. Judgment means righteousness. Judgment means uh, justice. Justice means uh, uh, the, the, what, what judgment means is that the full work that Jesus Christ lived, died and rose again and that he is coming back to bring to this planet will be as righteousness covering the, the world like the oceans cover the world. So what do you, when we, we say we look forward to judgment, what we're saying is all that is crooked in this world will be made straight. All that is broken in this world will be healed. All that is off kilter, out of whack, all that is evil and dark within ourselves and within the culture and the world in which we live will be overturned, redeemed, renewed, restored. Right. And so so Jesus is saying, look, be ready for this. Lift your heads. Don't spend your time as the world does in dissipation and kind of anesthetizing. That's why, I mean, doesn't it strike you as interesting? Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Why would he go to that? Well, the fact is the world is a hard place to live. And one way or another, you're going to find a way to get yourself through it. Many people do that through uh, you know, the drug of alcohol or the drug of drugs or the drug of money or the drug of sex or the drug of whatever the, the thing is, the drug of pleasure to help you deal with the fact that down deep in your soul, you're uneasy. 
and you're uncertain and you're a little bit afraid. And so what Jesus says is, no, listen, your hope is not in those things, but in entrusting yourself to me and expecting and looking forward to me returning. So what Jesus is doing here, too, is he's alerting to these particular people that are hearing this. Uh, the people gathered there in Jerusalem in the temple of, about what's, what's about to happen. Because in just a matter of a few years, the place where Jesus is standing when he says these words will be a smoking ruin surrounded by stacks of dead bodies. Because in 70 AD, the Romans are going to come to Jerusalem and level it, burn it to the ground, and virtually kill everyone who's there. And so this would be a, a, a pivotal event uh, for the people that lived in the first century. And it would become, in many ways, a paradigm to help them understand the, the nature of the things that Jesus was talking about. And throughout history, we've seen different times and places where, where similar events like that have come have, have happened before. And Jesus is using this to tell us, listen, it'll be a giant uh, uh, disruption uh, time of destruction in preparation for his ultimate arrival here, right? So this calamity was viewed as a way for the church to begin to understand the kinds of things that would happen near uh, the end. Now, what we kind of tend to settle for in our culture and in uh, this church, sadly, and then I do this as well, is... Um, um, it seems to us that what Advent, all Advent does is it prepares us for Christmas, right? Because that's, that's what we're really waiting, right, waiting for, right? But, and, and, you know, Christmas has become so sentimental uh, that we miss the fact that Christmas is a surprising blaze of light shining in impenetrable darkness. You know, uh, did you know how many Hallmark movies you can watch about Christmas? One. There's only one. There's a fabulously good-looking man and a fabulously good-looking woman who are estranged. Usually a factory is going to get shut down or a town's going to go away or something. And there's a dog. And... <laughs> And uh, never a cat. Why not a hedgehog? Right? Yeah. A dog. Usually a lab. But, um, and it snows on Christmas Eve, and they kiss, and Jesus comes back. Right? Right? And we watch that, and we're like, oh, this is so great. This is so awesome. This is... This is what I've been living for. This is what I've been longing for, right? Um, but the fact is, the, the truth is, uh, that sentimentality is just another way whereby we kind of uh, make life a little more tolerable in the face of the fact that down deep in our heart of hearts and down deep in our soul of souls, we know we're deeply flawed and broken. Next slide. You see, what Christmas is, 
and what prepares us for Advent is that Christmas is the movement of God in the territory that is occupied by the forces of darkness. And over these forces, human efforts are in vain. No amount of preparation will change the ultimate fact that we live in a time and place of difficulty and that God must intervene. And so unless I come face to face with this, I'll cover up my uh, unease with denial, right? But that's the great thing. And that's why I'm, that's, that's your task this year is to deny denial. It's to see yourselves and to see the world for what it is and therefore to be able to see the gospel for what it is. So, you know, those of you who have been coming here for years know that I always whip out poetry around Christmas and, and Advent. And so I've been reading the poems this year of W.H. Alden. Um, and I know some of your eyes are already rolling back in your head. Uh, but I found this one and I thought this was a very appropriate for our congregation today. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of you. Cling faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. Now what I found fascinating about this is Alden writes this in 1939 before the advent of cell phones. So I guess in 1939, people found ways to distract themselves, right? So the music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home, lest we should see where we are. Lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night, who have never been happy or good. <laughs> Woo! Merry Christmas! So, um, <laughs> right? Actually, you know, when we see that we are lost in a haunted wood, when we see that we're children afraid of the night, Christmas has never been so good. Right? And so, the, the, the point is, for us as we come to the table as today is this. You see, um, the world is a hard place and we are broken sinners. People we love die. Uh, uh, things that should uh, uh, work towards righteousness end up not working towards righteousness. And so, so much of our lives are hard and difficult. But here's the thing and here's the hope and here's the reality. Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ will come again. Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ will come again. We read these words of institution of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11 so much that they lose their power and they lose in many ways the fact that what we say when we read this, um, we're saying something that uh, honestly is pretty crazy. The last line in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're saying a dead man. It's coming again. And that's our hope. 
That's what we're hanging uh, all of our hopes on, and that's what this supper uh, helps us to do. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this prayer of confession that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Lord, you alone are full of grace and truth, but we have not kept watch for you. We have occupied ourselves with our own concerns. We have sought our own glory above yours. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have not noticed the needs of others around us. We have not acknowledged your favor and the love that you have shown us. Forgive us for our sins against you. Heavenly Father, help us to yield to the wisdom of your ways. Lord Jesus, lead us to live in light of your coming. Holy Spirit, give us faith to see that you are truly among us. Amen. Believer, hear the good news. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. On the night which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, giving it to uh, his disciples. Uh, We come to this table and certainly we look back. Obviously, we look and remember the fact that that Jesus offered his life as an atoning sacrifice for us. And by taking this bread and drinking this cup, we say we are a people who are walking in darkness. And we would continue to walk in darkness except for this light that has shone upon us. We didn't generate the light. We didn't earn the light. But God in his grace, his lavish grace, has shone that light into our darkness. Um, We look back, but we also look forward in expectant hope for the reality of what Jesus Christ will be for us, not just today, but tomorrow and eternity. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope except in him, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He says, come, be renewed, be restored, be reminded Um, that the way things are is not the way they will be.
As the elders uh, and deacons come down front uh, this morning uh, to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.